Let's open with prayer. Father, we acknowledge your presence with us, Lord. The transformative power of your spirit. God, we come with our inability and confess to you uh, that we need you. Lord, we need you to, as Heidi said, to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to bring light into our hearts, God. So Father, we ask um, as you are present among your people, Lord, that we would have a greater realization of that today. Father, we would have a, a quickness to surrender. Lord, and as we encounter you through that um, surrendering, Lord, it would lead to praise and happiness in you, Lord. So God, direct our eyes upward this morning, we ask in your name, amen. This series so far, we've looked at what Jesus meant when he said in John 4, 32, I have food that you do not know about. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, as he said in Matthew 4, 4. In the first week, we learned that confessing our inability is actually the first step in this pattern of prayer. And, and as we talk about patterns of prayer, we need to remember that they're not formulas for prayer. We don't memorize mantras and say, well, I prayed just like Jesus did in the ESV, and now I, have, I get what I want. I, I get the same access to God that Jesus had. That's what I get because I said these words. That's not what we're learning as we talk about the patterns of prayer or the formulas. We're not talking about a formula. We're talking about a posture of a heart that leads to a pattern of prayer. And we looked at, at that first pattern as being something we need to come to God and recognize our inability to do life on our own, knowing that we have a need, that our, our spiritual bodies have a need for a spiritual food. Last week, Dale taught us how to be happy in the Lord, which ultimately leads to praise. And this week, we're diving into petitioning with the Lord, to the Lord, petitioning the Lord with full access to him. Now, um, we're not going to be talking about so much the how-tos of this, the mechanics of prayer. Um, prayer looks very different for each of us. We each have our own relationship, our own way of communicating with the Lord, and that looks different. So what I want to do is, is help us understand the, the position we have in the presence of God. Our primary text this morning is going to be Hebrews 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. Life is constantly changing for us, right? Uh, a never-ending series of highs and lows. At times, we reach these breathtaking mountain peaks where we enjoy the beauty of life and relax in the presence of God's love as we gaze on, his, on the majesty of his creation. If you've been up any mountains around here, man, we have some of the best views, uh, I think, in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are other views, but no views like these. Um, and sometimes we endure the deep, lonesome valleys filled with heartache, pain, and despair. Sometimes we enjoy those long, Alaskan, sunny summer days, and sometimes we wonder if the sun will ever return to Alaska. Change is part of life. It's very likely that some of us have faced change in our lives even this week. For me, this week has been intensely full, um, probably one of the more full and packed weeks from early morning till late night I've had in a really long time. Some great things and some uh, tough things to navigate. 
on top of dealing with upcoming travel issues, relational issues, illness. There were certainly trying times this week, and, and I spent the week with uh, my mentor from uh, Michigan who came up, and we had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, uh, doing prayer work and counseling, and I got to see God transform some people in a new life they'll never forget. They'll never leave behind. It, it's, it was one of the most um, transformatively packed weeks of, um, uh, that I can remember. But there were trials along with it. Maybe this week you've had one of those weeks as well where some hardships and some spiritual struggles or some victories. Whatever the case, these days and these weeks are guaranteed to come in our lives, but they don't have to be faced alone. See, the book of Hebrews, which is where we're gonna be today, has a central theme. This theme is that Jesus the greater. It gives us a series of contrasts in which Jesus is proven to be better than other sources or better than other means. He's not only described as the great high priest over and over, but he's also a forerunner who goes before us, a mediator who bridges the gap, an intercessor who wants to help us in our journey through life and in our times of need. For those who know him, Jesus is the true constant in an ever-changing world, in a constant array of trials. <clears throat> And that's part of this life that we don't know what this afternoon is going to bring. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. There is nothing truly constant in our lives. And I think one of Jesus' greatest gifts for disciples of his, for those of us who want to be uh, like, become like Jesus, is that he removes the illusion of control so that we can live in a surrender state with him. And as we live in that state with him, we get to experience his consistency in our lives. And one thing we need to understand is that what I understand and believe about my relationship with Christ has everything to do with how I approach God and live out my relationship with him. What I understand and believe about Christ's relationship with me has everything to do with how I approach God and live out my relationship with him. So let's read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. The, writer, the, the writer's unknown, really, of Hebrews. There's speculations. I have my opinions. But for today, we'll just say the writer. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the first thing we see in verse 14 is that Jesus is our great high priest. And we, can, we, we actually can discover a few aspects of that priesthood. One is his nearness. See, Hebrews was written to Christian Jews, Jews and they had been raised under the Mosaic law. They had followed their ceremonies and observed all the traditions and, and uh, um, uh, fulfilled the, the requirements in the tabernacle and the, and the temple. The high priest held a position of authority among the people and the people looked to him for direction. They depended on him to offer the required sacrifice needed for their atonement. They knew it wasn't on them to enter the Holy of Holies and to make the sacrifice. It was solely on the high priest because they weren't qualified. They were fully dependent on the high priest. 
And here we find a profound statement that we have a great high priest. See, Jesus came and he says, no longer do you need to look to the temple. No longer do you need to look to man. Jesus is our great high priest and he's among his people. He's near to us, not a God far off. He's near to us. Ours isn't a mere religion of <clears throat> self-effort. We have something and someone much greater than the culmination of traditions and laws. Our faith isn't based on ceremonies or practices, but on a person, on the person of Jesus. He is our better hope. He's our greater faith. He's our ultimate security. He is our only salvation. Jesus is the greater. We have a great high priest who is near us right now. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is near us right now. The people of old would never be able to even see inside the Holy of Holies. They would never be able to have access to God. That was the role of one man, one man of the priesthood, the high priest who would, who would then have to dress himself, have to robe himself, have to do all the right things to make atonement for the people. They never had access. And now we're told that we have access, that Jesus is, he has become our great high priest. But the other aspect or another aspect of his priesthood is his nature. See, his rank, we have a great high priest. This word great is actually magos, which is where we get mega from. So when you think of a great high priest, you can think of a mega high priest. Like not just, not just the Aaronic level, the Aaron level of high priest, but a mega high priest, one greater than even the greatest of high priests. There were many people who served in the temple. Each had a job to do, and, and uh, all priests, but all priests were not the same. Only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, the place where sacrifice was made. But even the high priest was just a man, limited in what he could accomplish. The sacrifice had to mean, be made over and over again with absolute perfection. In fact, if they went into the Holy and Holies and didn't complete it with perfection, they, would, they had a rope tied to their ankle with a bell. And if they were to, if they were to complete or, or attempt to complete it with some blemish or some sort of, of way around working the requirements, um, they would die. And then they would be drug out by the rope. People couldn't even go in to get them lest they died as well. We have a mega high priest who possesses all authority. He is set apart from the rest, above and exalted, higher than any. Jesus was a sacrifice and the priest. In keeping with the theme of Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus is the greater than even the OG of priests. Greater than Aaron. He's the son of God. He's the man who died for sin, the one who tore the veil, not only man, but also God. And you can see why it was so important for Jesus to have, uh, to live a perfect and sinless life, to be a perfect sacrifice because the requirements are perfection, a requirement we can never meet. Then down in verse 15, of Hebrews 4, we see that there's a preeminence of Christ, a superiority of Christ. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Our great high priest is holy. He's sinless and perfect. He retains the divine attributes of God because he is God. Now, it would be impossible to uncover all Christ is, especially in the time we have this morning. And I think even if we had all the time in the world, it would still be impossible. We see two areas uh, particularly related to his priestliness. One is his sympathy. See, Jesus actually feels what we feel. He hurts when we hurt. Our pain is felt in his heart as well. He knows the sting of betrayal. He knows the sting of mockery. He knows the sting and the, the, the um, uh, torment of, of persecution. See, the high priest couldn't offer that in every situation. He hadn't experienced all that the people encountered. He lived and served in the temple. He was, he was inside the walls. His life was devoted inside there. And so he couldn't actually relate with the people in a lot of ways. Like pastors today, we can pray for you. We can have sympathy, but we can't always feel your pain. We can't feel each other's pain because we all deal with things very differently. We all face different trials and find ourselves in different valleys, some darker than others. But there is one who knows your pain, who sympathizes with you, who feels our pain on every level. Hebrews 2.18 says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So even in our temptations, we say, man, how could Jesus understand temptations? He was God. Yes, and he was also fully manned. And when he was tempted, he was actually tempted that he desired the things of the, of, of, uh, that our hearts seem to long for. He desired the, the pull of lust, the pull of pride, the pull of, of, of what the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all these things. Jesus had those temptations. We need to understand that or we miss out on the reality that Jesus can sympathize with us. Yet he was without sin. The other thing we see in his priestliness is his superiority. The last part of verse 15 says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus not only knows our pain, but he actually conquered it. He endured every trial and temptation known to man yet without sin, without, without a, a sinless life, without a perfect sacrifice, we would still be dead in sin, just like the priests, if they did not offer a perfect sacrifice, it was not credited to the people. He forever atoned for our sin. In other words, he forever put us in right relationship with God. Without it, there'd be no hope, no salvation. Hebrews 7, 25 and 26 the writer says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for 
first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Are we starting to get a little glimpse of the greatness, the mega of his high priestliness? It's incredible. See, our flesh is weak. We often fail when we're tempted. And we say, well, if I just try harder, then I can overcome. How well has that worked for us? See, God didn't say he wouldn't give us more than we can handle. That's one of those, those misquotes. God always allows us into places that we have more than we can handle. In fact, without those, we wouldn't be drawing near to him. So we need to understand that, that this life is gonna lead us into those places that are far more than we can handle. We're gonna feel far overwhelmed and more than we can control, more than the sickness that we can heal, more than uh, circumstances we can find our way out of. I know for me, it's far easier to yield to temptation than surrender my efforts to Christ. I can tell you that much. See, we'll only be able to escape and overcome temptation through Christ. Now, that sounds kind of churchy to say. Let's talk about how that plays itself out. There's a preeminence in Christ, a superiority in this mega priest that we have. And this priest gives us provision. Christ is provision for us. Listen to this in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, prior to Christ, it was an impossibility. Only the high priest had access. So, so the high priest had access to where God dwelt, but the people could not go to God for help. They had to go into this, this religious place and, and seek help from this, this person who had access to God. And Christ comes in and says, no, no, I'm gonna be your access. There's a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle and the temple. Some, some guess it's about eight inches thick. And that veil was torn when Jesus was crucified. At his death, Jesus removed the veil of separation between God and man. And because of that, we enjoy this great provision through the finished work at the cross. In this single act, Christ provided access, he provided abundance, and he provided advantage for every believer who would put their faith in Christ. 16, the first part says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. He's given us this access. When we talk about petitioning, we talk about being in the presence of someone that we can petition, right? You need to have their attention. You need to have access to them if you're going to petition them. And he's given us that access. See, the priest didn't have unlimited access to the place where God dwelt, the average Jew never experienced the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. The Day of Atonement, the high priest would bathe himself, put on white garments, and, and uh, enter in behind the veil. And what happens, because, because of that single event, the veil was torn, now that all believers are cleansed in the atoning blood of Christ, the sacrifice. We are robed in the righteousness of God and given full access to his presence. Think about that. 
every single believer has access to the place where God dwells. In all the universe, in all the history, in all the things, the mighty works that we've seen God do, and I've seen him do some mighty works this past week in people that, that you just, you go, man, Lord, I don't know if, if this person can be reached. And I've watched God time after time this week transform people's hearts in, in incredible ways. That God who creates all, who sustains all, we have access to him. But like Israel from the very beginning, when God says, I'll be your God, you be my people, we say, no, nah, we'd rather have a person. We'd rather have a priest. We'd rather have a pope. We'd rather have a pastor. We'd rather have someone else telling us how to have our relationship with God. But Christ says, no, no, I'm giving you access to my father. That's incredible. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. So oftentimes I feel like sometimes we're like the people with, with Moses, like, oh, we're not going up to meet with God. No, 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 you go do that, we'll stay here. I find myself even reading books I love reading books. My daughter doesn't think I read. I just read all the time at work in my office. And I love reading books. I love reading about guys like, like Hudson Taylor or George Mueller. I love reading Dallas Willard. A lot of his works are phenomenal. These, these men, Andrew Murray and, and, and A.W. Tozer, these guys have incredible lives with the Lord. And yet I found myself only reading the books going, man, that's cool for them. Until I realized, like, wait, that could be my life too. That could be my life. I don't have to read about someone else's relationship with the Lord. That could be my life. I can be the man of faith. I can be the man who relies on the Lord for provision. I can be the man so full of wisdom, so full of, of, of the mind of Christ that I'm able to articulate it in a way that inspires other people like it's inspired me to go seek out a deeper relationship with the Lord. It doesn't have to be just someone else's testimony. It can be my own relationship with the Lord. And I realized even in reading Christian books, I was obsessed with it. Audrey called me years ago, started calling me a book junkie. If you'd known me growing up, you would have never guessed I'd read a book. But now I'm like, I find myself going, uh, I don't mind reading still, but I want to have my own story with God. We have, play, we have access to the place where God dwells. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. That doesn't imply coming with a proud heart, but simply without fear or dread. Come to the, to the throne of grace, the throne of, of confession where we say, God, I'm unable. And what is grace? Have you thought about that before? It's really simple. I think sometimes we can, we can overcomplicate it. Grace is simply this. It is God doing something for us that we cannot do otherwise. In other words, in Christ, we have access to the throne of I will do it for you. How long do we live our lives going, God, that must be a disappointment to you. I can't seem to do it, God. You call me into your throne and I can't seem to clean myself up enough to stand before you. 
And we labor over and over for years and we have this chasm between what we want to see about God, what we want to experience with him and our own failed attempts. And we say, until I can get these attempts right, I'm going to have to stay at a distance or go to a priest or go to a pastor or go to another book and live vicariously through them because I cannot stand before you because I don't have what it takes. And God's going, I know. So come to my throne of grace, the, the throne of I will do it for you. The priest, the great mega high priest who says, I will do it for you. The, the Jews understood this better than I think we do. The Jews knew the role of the high priest. They knew that they'd never have access to God. And so they understood, yeah, of course the high priest is going to do that. And we still live our lives as though we need that priest. And Jesus is going, no, no, I am that priest for you. Jesus said to Paul, and Paul recounts in 1 Corinthians, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, what I do for you is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your inability. Think about that for a moment. What I do, Jesus is saying to Paul in all of his successes, he says, Paul, what I do for you is sufficient because my strength, Paul, is made perfect in your inability. You don't have to have capability. You don't have to have the ability to conquer your sin. You don't have to have the ability to clean your life up, to get your life right, to understand the depths and the mysteries of, of Ephesians 1 as God opens the eyes of our hearts to the mysteries that it is Christ doing it for us. Paul goes on to say, therefore, because God's strength, because Christ's strength is made perfect in our inability, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, my inability. Paul's saying, look, I'm gonna boast now in my inability so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Why does he say this? Because it's in our illusion of ability that Christ has no power in our lives. It's in our surrender, it's in our inability that Christ is like, now my strength is made perfect. It's our inability. As we said before, the currency of the kingdom is inability. And we look and we say, well, I, I, I gotta be the one. I gotta have ability to do this. We say, I'm saved by grace. Think about that in, in terms of, of a new understanding of grace. I'm saved by, I will do it for you. And we say, well, I'm saved. Now it's up to me to live out my life. And we find ourselves discouraged and defeated. We're invited to come to a throne where we can put our inability on display and find help in our time of need. That's incredible. Why do we strive then? The second provision Christ provides is abundance says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever pondered what's available to us through that mega high priest? We obtain mercy. We find grace. There's not a person on earth who deserves God's mercy. In fact, mercy withholds what we deserve. He longs to offer mercy to those who seek him. 
Do we understand that? That God's heart is longing to offer us mercy to those who would come in our inability. Say, I can't do it, God. I'm tired of trying. I can't do it. And that's the place where God meets us. He desires to lavish on us mercy and to help us in time of need. And after we obtain that mercy, we find this grace. We find this God who says, I will do it for you. I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. Instead, I'm gonna get you what you could never deserve. We couldn't earn the I will do it for you or deserve it. Grace, what Jesus did for us, secures our salvation. It provides our sacrifice. It guides our life. It keeps us from sin. It strengthens our walk. What Jesus did for us. It's not even our own desire. Think about how many sins we've been addicted to or things we've wanted to conquer in our lives and go, I just want it so bad and we find no victory. It's not even our desire for freedom that brings the freedom. It's our desire to know Christ, to remove all the things that would get in the way of knowing Christ and come to him with this inability and say, God, I am utterly hopeless without you. And Jesus says, yeah, remember when I was on earth, I said that I can do nothing on my own. Remember when I said in John 15, five, that, that you can do nothing apart from Christ for me? Yeah, remember that? Then come to me. Come to me. There's an abundant supply of mercy and grace for the child of God. When we look at our lost friends, our lost neighbors, our lost communities, it's not religion we want to save them to. It's understanding that they're living in their illusion of, of ability. We have family that are completely resistant towards the things of God. And it's heartbreaking. And in every conversation, there's this, I will do it. I will be a good person. I don't need this. And Jesus says, well, the only way to come to me is by confessing your need. That's why we repent. That's why we come to him in our times of need. There's abundant provision for the situations we face. And here's the reality. If we are, if we are to find our means of escape, live in victory over our sin, live full of the spirit, we must stay continually before the throne of I will do it for you. Temptation comes, get to the throne of I will do it for you. Don't go there alone. Don't go to this throne and think God is a king who sits on a throne waiting for us to get it right. And when we get it right, he will be pleased. We have full access to petition a living God. Jesus is our victory. He is the greater victory. Gaze upon that throne. Obsess over God's presence. You'll find yourself, your life much richer. You'll find your joy much deeper. 
does not come by changing circumstances. It comes by changing our gaze. When troubles and temptations come, we realize we don't even consider facing them alone because our eyes are fixed on Christ. Isaiah 26, I think two or three says, he whose mind is stayed or fixed on the Lord, mind, whose all obsession, all focus is fixed and stayed on the Lord. It is he who is kept in perfect peace. It does not mean that he's kept outside of trials. It means that he's kept in perfect peace because his mind is stayed on the Lord. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12, this is what the Apostle Paul says. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is incredible. Apart from Christ, we cannot approach God. This is, the, this is our need for salvation. This is our friend's need for Jesus. There is no other way to God outside of Jesus, and, and this is why. We cannot approach the throne without Christ, without that sacrifice. Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, what? We can do nothing. But now through Christ, the way has been made into the presence of God, but only in Jesus. No other way exists. And look how Paul says we approach in verse 12. He says we approach with boldness and access accompanied with confidence. I thought this was interesting. I was looking up this word access because I was thinking, okay, well, when you think of approaching a throne, like we're not physically approaching a throne, although sometimes we feel like we're physically approaching something when we come to this building and worship together, which is a great thing. But we're not approaching a throne physically. So I looked up, I'm like, what does access actually mean then? And the word is actually means freedom of speech. So it's not just an opportunity to have access to the presence of a superior, but it's actually access to have presence for the purpose of speaking to a superior. That's interesting. With boldness and access to speak, we speak accompanied with confidence because of Christ. We speak with confidence despite our struggles because of Christ. We come confessing our inability because of Christ. Because God accepts us in Christ. Paul would say in Romans 8, 14 and 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Dad, Dad, we are sons and daughters in need of a father. When, when a child cries for their, for their parent, they are in need of their parent. They aren't coming confident saying, I don't need you, I'm just here. No, when they cry out, and what do we do? We turn away from them, we say, no, I want nothing to do with you. That's not what we do. We turn and say, what do you need? I need help with this, I'm, I'm scared, or, or whatever else it is. It's the same spirit that we can come to God the Father on the throne and cry, Dad, I'm unable, I'm incapable, I need you, I'm petitioning you. Remember what I said at the beginning of the message, that what we understand and believe about Christ's relationship with us has everything to do with how we approach God and live out our relationship with him.
See, we should understand our relationship with Christ very, very well because it does inform us on how we access him, how we access God. If Christ is not my high priest doing for me what I cannot, then I have no ability or access to approach the throne. But if he is, then as John says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, Christ, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And we say, well, I've prayed before and God hasn't, God hasn't answered. I've read about these other guys who are finding answered prayers, but that's not been my story. Maybe because we're approaching the throne with the wrong heart. Maybe we, maybe we are approaching the throne on our own saying, no, I got this, Jesus, thank you. I don't need to spend time with you. I don't need to understand you. I got this. I didn't cuss this week. I didn't watch a rated R movie this week. I went to church this week. God, I can do this. That's a proud heart. And we're told that God actually resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives, I will do it for you to the humble. So we come to God and we say, God, I don't even know what your mind is. I don't know what your heart is in this situation. I don't know how I'm gonna overcome this cycle of, of chaos in my life. I don't know how I'm gonna overcome this heartache. And we're told in 1 Peter 5, 7 very clearly that we cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting our anxieties on him. It requires us to cast our cares on him. In other words, it does not help us at all to come to the throne with this illusion of confidence, of self-confidence, of saying, I got this. I just need you to empower me to go do this. And, and God's, go no, my son will do it for you. You are approaching the throne of grace. How many times have we committed to God? And man, I'm never gonna do that again. I just watched this, I'm never gonna do this. I just drank this, I'm never gonna do that again. I just spoke like this, I'm never gonna do that again. And it's like we're before the throne making these vague promises to God and him going, oh, that's not gonna last very long, Josh, you know that. But if I come in my inability, then I receive the care that I need in my time of, in, in my time of need. I think Dallas Willard is the one who said that grace is not opposed to action. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to action. We do come to the throne and it's at that throne that we cast our anxieties. We petition because we have access. And this brings us back to Hebrews 4.16. Let us then... Approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. To find that one who says, I will do it for you. Come to me. Of the worship team, come back up. I wonder where life finds us today. I wonder if you're in here discouraged and beaten down if you feel overwhelmed with the burdens you carry. 
Maybe it's because we've been casting our cares everywhere but on him. Maybe we're casting our cares all over the place. We're aware of the things we need. Maybe we're casting it all over the place. I think of, of, of ice fishing, you know, casting your, your, your line all over the place, not ever dropping it down the hole, just all over the place. Well, I'm on the lake. I'm casting my line out there. I can't seem to catch any fish because we're not going to the place that we need to. Where have we been casting our cares? To our dysfunction, our addictions, our tempers, our independence? Are you tired? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to stand before a God with our own ability and try to say, God, I just gotta keep faking it till I make it, I guess, because that's what you expect. So I gotta keep coming to do. God's going, no, you don't, man. Give me your cares. Give me your anxieties. Cast them on me and I will do it for you. Why do we go on bearing the heavy load when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, petition me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching on you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly or humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy. My teaching is easy. What I'm telling you, what I'm giving you to do is easy and my burden is light. So I would say, come. I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. I don't even know what it looks like for me sometimes. Sometimes I just need to sit silently and let God speak. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But I know that going to the place, going to other places to cast my cares, to petition these other places, to petition the frozen lake instead of going to the hole where we have access to the fish, we say, I'll just keep casting. And I don't know what that looks like for us this morning. But I know that if we go to him, we go to speak to him. We go in humility to, to give him our inability. I was just talking with a friend yesterday who just experienced some incredible transformation this week. He's my age. And I said, you know, I'm only 40 and I'm just exhausted of trying. I'm exhausted of carrying the weight of performance. I'm exhausted. I will never go back, not because it's a temptation or not because I'm strong enough to resist the temptation on my own to pick up and start proving and performing all that, but I'm just too tired to carry that weight anymore. And so I learned how to take these things to the Lord. It's a lifelong process. Come now to the throne of I will do it for you. What Jesus does, what I do for you is sufficient because his strength is made perfect in our inability. Would you guys stand as we just worship? And, and I, don't, um, I don't think I'm gonna ask you guys to come up and pray with us. I think, in fact, you guys probably already know the things that you need to take to the Lord, the things we need to confess, the things we need to come and, and in full access because of Christ, not because of our performance that we come to that throne and confess our inability and meet, be met with mercy and gentleness from a God who says, finally, 
Finally, you're going to let me do it for you. 